This place, Huntington Beach, is so filled with memories for me that uh, all the way over, just house after house and street after street, I was just, you know, blessed and being taken back. I was 27 years old when we moved to Huntington Beach. We don't live here now. We live in Costa Mesa. But Chuck pastored a church that's just, oh, about three blocks from here. Villa Sweden wasn't here. Um, the last Calvary dinner where everybody at Calvary could come to one dinner together was in this room. And it was so packed that I kid you not, and um, heard it can bear me out, the building shook. It was so, it was wall to wall people. I never did find a place to sit down. I stood up and ate, and how they got so much food up here, I'll never know. What happened is I think that we were supposed to get a ticket. But it's when all the hippie kids had started coming to Calvary, and you know, the establishment and all that stuff. Why well, get tickets? So they just poured in. <laughs> it was exciting and fun, and we all went over to the Sunflower Calvary Chapel then and had our service. But I remember it still as such a joyous, marvelous occasion. Um, I took my children when they were here when we first moved down to Huntington Beach. The library across the street was brand new. And nobody likes the library better than I do. And I used to take the three little kids over there. And uh, Jan was in kindergarten, and she got in the library reading program. And, oh, I know this so well, and it's so precious around here to me. Uh, I babysat for a baby that lived in the apartments next door. We got a Christmas card from her mama, and that baby's all grown up and has a baby of her own. <laughs> and that's aging, I'll tell you. <laughs> next door to that is Brewster's Ice Company. And Brewster used to deliver water to our house down the street here, and I don't know if you know Brewster, and I hope he doesn't know I ever said this, but Brewster's kind of porky, and, uh, you know, great big tummy, and that always bothered Jeff, and Jeff was about two or three years old, just learning to talk, we'd lived here a few years, and uh, one day the water man came in, and Jeff stood there with his little arms crossed and just stared at me and said, water man, what makes you tummy so fat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I have a lot of fun memories from here, believe me. <laughs> when I speak, I told my class at Calvary that I feel sort of like a cheerleader. I feel like I'm saying, come on, you can make it. Come on, team, come on. <laughs> you know, we're going to win. Just keep going, keep going. And after class one day, a gal handed me this card. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> That's a darling cheerleader on it, and she's, you know, <laughs> both arms up and her tennis shoes up in the air backwards, and she's going, praise the Lord. <laughs> I feel that way with you. I think that my ministry, Chuck's the teacher in the body, and, and uh, he's the one that's made known in the gates, and the only reason I ever speak and ever accept a speaking invitation is because I know some of the struggles and the places you're going through, some of the trials. And I want to say to you, come on, God has a plan and a way, and you're going to make it. Now, if you'll just get into his word and you'll establish a prayer life, God will bring you through victoriously. I see the pain in the hearts of some of the people, and I see the turning back to things of the world, and it grieves me. So when you hear me speak, know that that's my purpose, is to encourage your hearts to walk on. We don't have a lot more time. Yesterday, I was talking to Jan and uh, Cheryl, and my youngest, or one of my grandchildren, Katie, Jan's daughter, three years old, was listening to us, and all of a sudden, she got really tired of listening, and she went, shh, big quiet. I have an adorable song I want to sing to you. <laughs> I kind of feel that way this morning. I don't think my song's very adorable, but I do have something I want to say to you this morning. And the Lord laid this so heavenly on my heart. And I, I, when I found out that I was going to speak before you ate, I thought, oh boy, 
you know, there's nothing worse than having your blood sugar plummet down to zero. And you get, I get the shakes if I get too hungry. And I won't here. I'm fortified with protein this morning and God's anointing. So, you know, but don't go to sleep on me, okay? If the blood sugar goes low, I don't care if you do some exercises or anything. Just that hush your heart to listen to what God's Spirit wants to say to you today. It isn't my message that's important. It's what he wants to say. And you know the strangest thing? When I speak, many, many times, people will come up and say, Kay, when you said this, and it wasn't the most important point, but it was something the Holy Spirit had me throw in someplace along the line, and that was the thing that ministered. People are constantly saying to Chuck, Chuck, you spoke just to me this morning. And you know only the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts to do that. So I pray and have prayed for every one of you in the room. I know the ladies up here have prayed that God would speak to every heart with something important to take home today. Uh, The reason I chose what I did this morning to speak on was, first of all, the Lord impressed it on my heart. Uh, Secondly, because I'm seeing women who seem so strong in the Lord become entangled in sin. And there's very little in this life that grieves me more. I've watched them lose their steadfastness in Christ and destroy their witness. And I want us to live lives that are pleasing to God. I did a five-week series in the spring and in the fall on pleasing to God. And it was the series that has blessed my heart the most. And in the last few years, had the greatest influence in changing my life as far as my own personal study. It has really um, moved upon me to try to weigh everything I do in the light of, is this pleasing to God? And it's really done some precious things in my life and will continue doing them until Jesus comes. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, and I want you to live lives that are pleasing to God. Paul the Apostle said he wanted to present a chaste bride unto God. And that's what we want to do at Calvary Chapel. We want to present you as pure before him. Now, I know that Jesus' blood has cleansed you from your sins and his forgiveness works. And you're without spot and blemish before him as long as you are walking in that forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. But we can get our lives more spotted than a leopard, can't we? By allowing sin to accumulate and blemish our lives. And I don't want you to be that way. In living to please God, one of the examples that I can give you this morning is of the wife who lives in obedience to her husband's requirements. Now, obedience isn't a word we use very often in marriage, but for now, in this day, but for just sake of example this morning, I'll use it. Um, There are wives who do everything that's required of them. They have the meals on time, the house is very clean, the washing's always done, his socks are folded and put in the drawer. But somehow she never goes beyond that place of just what's required. And in that marriage there's never any joy or fun or just that joy of their relationship. Now God meant for marriage to be exciting and joyful and delightful. And one of the ways we as wives make it that way is to find out what our husbands really like. And we ask God to make us creative in our marriage, and then we do that thing that they really like. And you know what we do? We please their heart. We bring special joy to their heart by doing that. Uh, Chuck is very, very hard to buy for. He doesn't really care all that much for presents to begin with. And secondly, uh, there isn't much that he needs. 
and God's just so supplied our needs that um, you know it's been glorious. So it is hard to buy for him. This Christmas, I prayed and I said, "Oh Lord, let me do something that's just really creatively wonderful for Chuck." And he'll just go, oh, you know. And he doesn't do that an awful lot. <laughs> He's so stable and so solid and so sensible. <laughs> and. Um, so I prayed, and I haven't told a group this. I've just just a few of our friends know this, but I'll tell you what I gave him, and you're the first to know outside just a few friends in the family. Um, I know that Chuck likes to fly, and he's never had a flying lesson, but he does fly in private planes a lot when he's speaking someplace. And the Lord laid on my heart to give him flying lessons. Not me. I mean, I'm not going to be there. I don't know how to fly. <laughs> but to uh, contact somebody who could give him flying lessons. And this is a very hard thing for me to give him because of Dad Smith and his brother Bill who were killed in the plane crash. But because Chuck is flying in private planes a lot, I thought, what if the pilot had a heart attack? It would be nice if Chuck knew how to land the plane. <laughs> so um, I prayed, and the Lord prepared a way, and I gave him 10 flying lessons for Christmas. Well, you know, he opened the box like he always does, kind of, you know, oh, yeah, I'm probably shirt and tie, you know. <laughs> anyway, and he just stared at me, and we have it videotaped. It is so fun. I wish I could have brought it and showed it to you this morning. And he just stared at me and stared, and he said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it brought a joy into life. Now, see, I could have brought him the old key ring and the wallet and the socks and the slippers and the pajamas and the shirt and tie, but I wanted to bring a special delight. I wanted to please him. I wanted to do something that's just so special for him. And do you know that's the way God wants you to live in relationship with him? He wants you to look at him, oh, Lord, what can I do to please you today? What can I do that's just so special? Lord, what do you want out of my life today? God has everything. He doesn't need this, does he? But he can teach us by his Holy Spirit what we can do that will just bring joy and delight to his heart. Now, one of the ways to find out how to please him is to learn what displeases him. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. And it might be a little negative, but it's necessary before we really walk into pleasing him to learn things that don't please him. And every single woman that I have seen slip back at Calvary into the old life and the old ways has slipped back through one of these things that I'm going to bring to you this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, sisters will say, since it's all women this morning, and that word brothers means brothers and sisters, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. Paul is talking about the children of Israel. And remember, a cloud guided them in the wilderness, a cloud by day and fire by night took them every place they went. Marvelous guidance. I wish we had it now. Don't you wish you had a cloud today that just said, now go here and go there? <laughs> and then tonight the fire led you and it said, let's move on here and let's, you know, ooh, I'd love it. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That means that Moses was appointed their leader. He led them through the Red Sea under the guidance of God. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Christ was with them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples 
to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul is talking to Corinthian Christians as he says this. I am talking to mostly, I suppose, Calvary Chapel Christians this morning. Now, these things occurred as examples to you women from Calvary Chapel or whatever church you're from to keep you from setting your hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by fiery serpents. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Couldn't be any plainer than that, could it? These are examples and they're warnings for us. And we're quickly going to go through this this morning. The first thing I want you to recognize is that God delivered every one of them out of Egypt. And Egypt is a type of the world. God led every one of them through the Red Sea. He showed them that marvelous miracle. Can you imagine standing at the edge of the Red Sea and thinking, how are we going to get through this? And Pharaoh's armies are chasing you. And the sea was rolled back right before your very eyes, and you walk through on dry ground. That's quite a miracle to see, isn't it? And then it says that they all ate of the same spiritual food. Every one of them had manna. God provided supernaturally all their dietetic needs. Everybody ate the same spiritual food, God's supernatural provision of the manna. And they all drank from the same supernatural provision of water, the rock that was um, spoken to and was stricken, that the water poured out. They had water all the way through the wilderness. God provided it. Every time they were in need of water, God opened up a way that they would have water. Every one of you probably, how many people are not from Calvary Chapel? Okay, one, two, three. Four, five. Okay, if I refer to Calvary Chapel, forgive me. Um, I'm just going to use that, and this includes whatever church you go to. And we're happy that you're with us. But all of you are eating from the same spiritual source. Every one of you are feeding off of the Word of God, whether it's your minister in Calvary or all your ministers in Calvary or wherever you fellowship. You are receiving God's Word. You're all eating of the same manna that God is providing. Every one of you are drinking from the same source. You're receiving this baptism, this Holy Spirit flowing through you, bubbling up within, within you uh, to give you that marvelous enthusiasm and joy and power to walk as you ought to walk. Every one of us have that opportunity, and we're all doing it. And yet with some of us, God is not well pleased. It's frightening. It's frightening to me. And why is he not well pleased with some of us? And why was he not well pleased with them? Remember, these things are examples to all of us. What did the children of Israel do that displeased God so much? First of all, they lusted after evil things. If you're taking notes, do write this down. It's the first most important point this morning. They lusted after evil things. Lusted means strong desire. 
Picture them out in the wilderness. And by the way, I'll give you every Old Testament reference for this. I won't look them up because we don't have time. But I want you to write down the Old Testament references. And when you go home, it would be very interesting to you to compare the two, the New Testament reference and the Old Testament. Numbers 11.4 in the Old Testament. It says that the children of Israel got sick and tired of the spiritual food. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, of the spiritual food that God provided, they got sick of the manna that just rained down every day. They didn't have to go off and hunt for meat and provision. God just provided it there in the wilderness. Now, living in the wilderness was hard. I don't like camping very much unless I have a motorhome or a trailer or something. The days of being out in a tent don't excite me <laughs> very much. And um, I can't imagine what it would be, out, be like to be in the wilderness in uh, Israel at all. I know how hot Israel can be, and I know what the wilderness looks like, and I'll be seeing it um, in just a little over a week again. And I, frankly, would not like to have been out in the wilderness. And yet I know what it is to God, have God's presence and protection and provision. And let me tell you, you could be on a desert island all by yourself, and if you have His presence and His protection and His provision, you can be the happiest person in the whole wide world. Do you agree with me? Of course, when His presence is with us. But they began to forget that God had performed miracles. They lost sight of His presence. They hated His provision. And they didn't appreciate His protection and His guidance at all. And they began to think back on Egypt. Now when they thought back on Egypt, and listen to this, because we are so prone to do the exact same thing. They didn't think about the bondage, about the beatings they had gotten, how they were treated so horribly. You know what they thought about? Food. They thought about the food that was in Egypt. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. That's what they thought about. And as I was reading this over, I thought, oh, brother, how often food, this lust of the flesh, the very first sin came through temptation to partake of food. Now, this isn't an overweight anonymous class. <laughs> this is just, this is just, it really is symbolic of the lust of our flesh. When they thought back on Egypt, and you know so often when we get discouraged with our walk with Jesus in this life, and we start thinking about what it was like back in the world, we never think about the bondage. We think about all the good things that happen. I'm Irish, and um, Chuck teases me because the Irish have a thing. When somebody's living, they can say anything they want about them. This is not, a Chris, this is not from the Christian perspective. This is just Irish perspective. But once they die, they immediately become a saint. I don't care how mean and cantankerous and rotten they are when they're alive. When they died, they were the sweetest person that ever breathed. Heaven bless their soul, you know, <laughs> rest their soul and all this sort of thing. And this is like the children of Israel. They couldn't remember a bad thing about Egypt at this stage in their life, and they began to lust after evil things. I think that the beginning of backsliding in our own hearts is when we lose thankfulness for what God has done for us. In Romans 1, it says, Neither were they thankful, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you realize when you cease to be thankful with what God has done for you or for uh, the things that God has given you, that you can go into spiritual darkness? Neither were they thankful, and their foolish heart was darkened. Francis Schaeffer says in his book, True Spirituality, 
um, lost the thought, um, that the beginning, uh, that the lack of thankfulness is the beginning of rebellion in the Christian's heart. And this is where it began with them, and really with Eve, a lack of appreciation for what God had done for them. They didn't like the manna anymore. They were disgusted with it. They were tired of it. We're out in this wilderness, and it's a bore. And a lot of Christians go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Thursday night, and they don't realize what it would be like to be without the Word of God. I talked to a girl from Bulgaria recently who remembers when she was a little girl how they had to go up in the mountains to have a prayer meeting. If they were in their homes and a knock came at the door, they had to hide the Bibles and hide everything. Her grandfather was sent to a concentration camp because of his strong influence in the city where they lived. And we don't know what it's like to be without the Word of God. And we go and we sit there and we can get bored so easily. And then what happens next? We began to lust after evil things. Now, I don't know what evil things are in your life, but I do know, and this is stepping on toes, and I don't know anybody here that's done this, but I know things I'm tempted with sometimes. Sometimes something so super is coming on TV on a Sunday night that there is that temptation to stay home and watch Sound of Music. I don't know what's been on. What's been on a Sunday night? Don't tell. You'll confess. <laughs> but, oh, I can hear Chuck anytime. I, you know, I don't need that fellowship of the saints. I, uh, you know. And it's a little easier to stay home and watch TV. It's a little easier to, uh, you know, just not make the effort. And it's a beginning of lack of thankfulness in your heart for something that God has done. And, you know, so often sin creeps up on us like that. And I hope I step on a few toes this morning. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to, don't you? These are the last days, and these are examples, and we're supposed to shape up a little bit. You know, cheerleaders can say shape up too, can't they? And I want you to feel what it is to begin to lust after evil things, to have a stronger desire for things of the world than you have for God. That's really what it boils down to. Okay, the second thing is they became idolaters. Oh boy, that excuses everybody in the room, doesn't it? Hmm, nobody here is an idolater. Exodus 32.6 tells us about the idolatry. The people, now picture it in your mind, were all gathered near Mount Sinai, and Moses had gone up into the mountains. And he didn't come down as soon as the children of Israel expected him to. And they said, you know, what about this man Moses? Where is he? He delays his coming. He hasn't come back down from the hill. We better make our own God. And they pushed on Aaron, and they pressed him till Aaron said, okay. And he went around, and he had the people break off their golden earrings. One of the interesting things about this to me was that the sons wore golden earrings too. The wives, the sons, and the daughters had their golden earrings broken off, and they poured them in fire, I guess, and they made this molten calf. And they began to worship this calf, and it says that the people sat down to eat and drink and uh, got up to play, actually to have orgies, is what they literally did. Another place said that they were naked when Moses came down from the hills. Horrible. We're shocked and we're disgusted with them. And they not only, when they uh, made this molten calf, you know what they said? They said, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Horrible. We're shocked. We're disgusted. We're furious to think that they could do a thing like that. Moses was so 
angry when he got down uh, towards the bottom of the hill that he took these commandments he had made of stone and he threw them and he broke them. Can you imagine what force he must have thrown them down with and what anger enveloped him that the children of Israel, after all God had done for them, would make a golden calf. And yet today we make our golden calves. Anything at any time that you love better than God is an idol in your life. We don't make them out of wood anymore, do we? We don't carve them, and we don't make them out of golden earrings. But anything that you love better than God is an idol in your life. Now, that's frightening. And God wants us to do some self-examination. I think that it's good for us sometimes to just discipline our lives. I have a friend who loves antiques, and I may have told you about this before. You may have heard me say this before, but when she goes out and goes antique hunting, and she sees one she really would love to have, she said that many times she goes, Jesus, that antique is beautiful, and I would like to have it, but I love you more than that antique, and I'm not going to buy it. The other day I was coming home from some place, and I was rushing to another appointment, and I had the car radio on. And it was a program I'm very, very interested in. And uh, it was kind of a talk thing. And I, it, oh boy, it was really fascinating at that moment. And the Lord spoke to my heart and He said, Kay, turn that off and pray. You're going to go into a situation right now, and I want you to be prepared, and I want you to pray from here to there. And it was a test. The Lord was testing to see if I'd be obedient. Turned off the radio, I prayed, I got into the situation, and I'll tell you, God worked in the most supernatural and wonderful way. Now you're sitting watching TV. And God will say to you, turn off Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie isn't a bad program, is it? But he'll say, turn it off. I want you to pray. I want you to spend some time alone with me. I want you to just tell me how much you love me and that you love me more than that program. Oh, but Lord, it's so interesting. Couldn't you just wait a half an hour? You know, he'll be, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to stop right now. No, if you want to really please my heart, turn it off now. We have idols. And they can be as little as a TV program that we put before the Lord. There are all kinds of things that we make as idols in our life. Uh, there's a poem that I love, and the last two lines of it are, What have we to do with idols who have accompanied with him? The next thing they did was they committed fornication. I hate that word. I think lust and fornication are two of the ugliest words in our vocabulary. But it actually means adultery, too. And the verse that tells about it is found in Numbers 25, verse 1. And I even don't like this particular verse. I don't like the way it's worded. I don't, mm, it's one of those. It really hits us. But in the body of believers in this day, it seems to be one of the easiest sins for Christians to fall into. And in the last two weeks, I have dealt with more women that have been taken by this one sin than any other sin. Women, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the age we're in with this uh, sexual atmosphere with all this stuff being beamed and programmed into your minds all the time or what it is, but women are so vulnerable to this. And it makes me so heart sick when I see a Christian woman uh, get involved in this kind of sin. So often she's either in a bad marriage or she's desperate. A lot of times when a girl comes to the Lord, out in the world she was in a lot of sexual relationships. And she comes to the Lord and she's purified and uh, forgiven and her life starts all over again. 
And the boys just aren't as attracted to her as much as they were in the world when she projected a sexual image. And she goes a month, six months, a year without a date. And she starts looking back at Egypt. And she says, well, now, you know, it wasn't all now. It's not that important. God forgives. God's grace covers and all this sort of thing. And she talks herself out of walking in holiness and godliness and begins to get ensnared and entangled. And the first thing she knows, she's back in the bondage of Egypt again, all caught up. And listen here, I don't care what Cosmopolitan Magazine says. I don't care what they say on the radio. I don't care what the liberationists says. say. You will suffer emotionally if you get entangled in sexual sins. I have never known a woman yet that didn't suffer emotionally from it. These laws that God set down of purity are for the woman's protection. And foolish, stupid woman she is that decides on her own course of action in defiance to God's law. Listen to me this morning. I talked to a woman last week who has lost everything, including her children, because she got messed up in sexual sins. It's not worth it. My a heartbreak is I never see them so much when they're going into it as I see the bitter results of the aftermath. And if they don't have it in, in an outward thing that everybody can see, it works in the mind and the heart. I've had women who gave uh, illegitimate babies up for adoption 20 years ago come to me and they have a terrible time getting over the heartache and the guilt of it. We do not get by with sin. We absolutely do not. It looks like we might, but we don't. I read a survey recently um, about uh, women who live with men without being married to them, and that's very popular now, and it's being done all over. And the woman who did the survey surveyed, I think it was a 1,000 women. She was not a Christian. And she said in almost every case, there were a few exceptions, but very few, in almost every case, the women were women of very low esteem and were afraid that it was the only way they could hold the guy. And so they lived with him because they knew he would never marry them. Isn't that interesting? And yet it's the popular way. She also went on to say that if they did get married and they said, oh, we want to have a trial marriage before we get the license and all that, she said the next thing that happened, there are just as many divorces among the people who lived together first as there are among the people who didn't live together. Isn't that interesting? Do you know our beloved, gracious, wonderful, precious, marvelous God said women and men stay pure and sex is wrong outside of marriage for your protection? and for the protection of your children, I see it as one of the tenderest, sweetest acts of God possible. My children today have a daddy who loves them and cares for them. But the girls that compromise and are out there, look what happens. Look what happens. I do know there are a lot of single parents here today, and I don't mean to uh, make you feel bad. I understand that husbands walk off with other women, and I know disasters take place. And I'm not speaking to you today when it's not your fault. I'm talking to the women who deliberately cho choose this path of adultery and fornication, and that's the way they want to walk. This is not a light sin in God's eyes. These things I'm talking to you about this morning are serious. Do you know that 23,000 
children of Israel were killed in one day for this one sin? Oh, God's a God of grace and mercy. Sure he is, but he's a God of holiness. And he wants his children to walk in holiness. Sexual sin is never right outside of marriage. And it's not sin in marriage. Our bodies were not made for that, but for the Lord. Living Bible says this. Sexual sin is never right. 1 Corinthians 13b, the latter half of the scripture. Our bodies were not made for that, but for the Lord. Also, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 in King James and share it with your friends who are becoming entangled in this. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we are not to get involved in that sort of thing. Okay, you just don't know what it's like to be tempted. Oh, I just can't. Oh, he's so marvelous, and oh, blah, blah. I wasn't raised in a convent. I really wasn't. I know what it is to be tempted. I had a girl last week that said to me, Oh, Kate, I just couldn't resist. Fooey, I don't believe that God, just a couple of verses later in this chapter, says that there is no temptation hath taken you. In verse 13, but it's common. It's common to man. Almost everybody is tempted to evil. Everyone is. Not almost. Everybody is. And the same strength from God it took me to withstand temptation is available to you, to every single one of you. And not one of us in this room has to succumb to that. We do it by choosing our own will instead of God's will. And believe me, the path is disastrous. There is no temptation that's taken you, but it's common to men. But God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. You just don't take the way of escape that God provides. He always does. There is no passion or love that comes into your life that God will not give you a way of deliverance. If you choose his way, but you must deliberately choose his way. Okay, you may have missed the first three, but you might get hit by this one. <laughs> and maybe you won't. Next of all, it says they tempted Christ. They tempted the Lord. And this is found in Numbers 21, verses 5 to 6, how they tempted the Lord. Literally, it means they tried God's patience. They were journeying from the Red Sea to Edom, and it was tough. It's awful. Being in the wilderness was really tough, and it was difficult. And some of you are walking in some terrible circumstances today. The fire is just too warm. The sun beats on you too hard. Uh, you don't like the food you're eating, and it's a difficult walk. And your circumstances are horrible. Well, Moses knew this. And the people began to speak against God and against Moses in this journey. And they began to say, um, oh, we've been brought out here to die. Moses just did this because he, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they spake against God and spake against Moses. I want you to write this scripture in your mind because I'm going to hit a point this morning that most of us in the room might have been guilty of. And I am so adamantly against it. I stand so firmly and so does Chuck against this. And you might not like it when I bring it up. You do not have to receive it from me. You receive what the Lord has to tell you. Some years ago, probably about 12 years ago, I went to a class, a seminar for women over in Lakewood. And uh, it was a lady psychologist, and she got up, and she said, this morning I want to deal with all of you who are mad at God. 
And I sat there, and I, I just I started to shake. I thought, we are not to be mad at God. But I didn't know why. I just knew we are not to be mad at God. My spirit did not witness to what she was saying. I was with three or four other women, and we went back to one of their houses, and we began to talk. And one of the other women I was with was a psychologist. And she said, well, you don't understand, Kay. People are mad at God, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, all through these years, every time anyone has said, I'm mad at God, I get the same reaction. I get torn up inside. And I thought, what is it that just causes me? Um, I know it's not right. Then I heard Joy Dawson at the retreat, uh, several retreats ago, and she really came down strong on this. She said the utter absurdity of a woman or a man who would say they're mad at our God, in whom there is no iniquity, there's no unrighteousness, he's all goodness, he's all love, he's all this. When I was a child, we had such a reverence and respect and fear of God. We would never do that. You can do that to your friends or you can do it to Satan. But we do not say we're mad at God. As I was studying the lesson, all of a sudden today, I mean, I've been studying for about two weeks. Two weeks ago when I came across the scripture, it came across to me, they spake against God. Write that on the tables of your heart today. God was wroth with them that they would have the audacity to speak against him. How dare us, how dare we as Christians to speak against our God? It's like an ant railing at the sun. God, the creator of the universe. Now I talked this over with Jan and she said, Jan, I know what people mean when they say they're mad at God. I said, well, I do too, and I understand it. She said, well, Mom, you know Katie's eyes are crossed, and she said, we've prayed every, every day since she's been born that God would heal her eyes, and he hasn't yet. And she said, I know he has the power to do it, but I don't understand why he hasn't. I said, that's okay, Jan. It's okay to not understand everything God's doing, isn't it? But it isn't right to say I'm mad at God because he didn't heal Katie's eyes. No, Jan hasn't done that. But that's where it's wrong. I'm, you know what you're saying? God is my fairy godmother, and he didn't do what I wanted him to do. That's exactly what you're doing. I'm mad at God. God did this. They spake against God and against Moses, and God heard. God heard. And they were punished very, very severely. It's only in this generation that people have even had the freedom to say they were mad at God. Your anger should be directed towards Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one that's bringing all this to pass. He's the one. God has never brought evil to you. Satan brings the evil, and then you blame God. And also, please remember with me, this is not heaven. Everything's not going to be perfect here. It is in heaven, but it's not going to be perfect here. You're going to be surrounded by cantankerous, unjust, unfair, rotten, difficult, terrible people. You just are. And God's allowed them in your life for a divine purpose and for your growth, and you might as well learn to bear with them. That's not original. I learned that from Finelon in his book, Let Go. It's true. It's the way life is. We are not going to have perfection on this earth. This earth is a place where sin and all that, that's why I long for heaven so badly. I just can hardly wait to be with Jesus in my perfected body. How about you? Do you feel that way today? 
I just pray that God will write this on your hearts that you will never, if you're tempted to say, I'm mad at God, you go back and you read this portion in Numbers all over again. Numbers 21, 5 and 6. It wasn't only that they spoke against God, but they spoke against Moses, God's appointed leader. And God certainly chastened Moses. He didn't let Moses get by with anything. When Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it, God said, okay, Moses, you disobey, you're never going in the promised land. So you don't have to correct God's leaders. God corrects his leaders. If they sin, God takes care of them. So don't speak against God and don't speak against Moses. Don't say, I'm mad at God. You know what it tells me? The, when a person tells me they're mad at God, it tells me one thing right away. They have no knowledge, really, of who God is. They know nothing of his nature or character. They've never studied it. They've never found out about it. They treat God as though he were a husband or a boyfriend or somebody over here rather than God. They really don't know him. The second thing I know about them, first is that they do not have knowledge who God is. The second thing is that Jesus is not Lord of their life. It is, you know, Chuck said, uh, is it Peter that said, not so, Lord? And he said, you can't say that. You can't say, not so, Lord. If he's Lord, then anything he wants to do is right. Amen? Isn't that right? You could say amen with me. <laughs> um, if he's Lord of your life, he has the right to your life to do whatever he wants. And when you say, Lord, just as Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, she said, oh, I am the bond slave of God, be it done unto me according to your word. Whatever God wants to do is his choice in my life, and I choose his will. That's when Jesus is Lord of your life. When you say, I choose his will, and we're no more mad at God. The last point, and that food's just smelling better and better all the time, isn't it? and I know how good Villa Sweden food is. Um, okay, they murmured. Ha <laughs> ha. Catch it just before you murmur this morning about Kay going on too long. They murmured. Numbers 14 2. 1 Corinthians 10 10. We are admonished and warned, and it's an example. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now that is the angel of death that went around and destroyed. Neither murmur. Don't gripe and complain against God. Uh, chapter 13 of Numbers, which is the chapter preceding the story of the, the children of Israel's murmuring against God, tells about Moses sending the 12 spies into Canaan. Ten of them came back with a terrible, discouraging report, and two came back with a glowing report. And typical of people, they believe the discouraging report rather than the marvelous report that Joshua and Caleb brought back. And they chose to believe that. And you know what they did in chapters 14, or Numbers 14.1? It says they wept all night. Have your children ever cried without a real reason to cry? And did you ever do that when you were a little girl? And did your mom or daddy ever say to you, I'll give you something to cry for? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the children of Israel wept all night. Why? Because they didn't believe the true report of Canaan. They believed the discouraging report. Have you ever wept all night because you believe somebody's discouragement? Satan loves to discourage Christians. I think that that is one of his favorite tools, to depress and discourage you and say, oh, I don't think God really does care at all. He's just not hearing. He's not interested. Oh, they said, 
Oh, would God we died in Egypt. They'd rather have died in the land of bondage than have been out in the wilderness with God's provision, protection, and presence. That's how bad they were. They said, oh, would to God that we died in the wilderness. And they did. They did. All of those people that complained and murmured against God died in the wilderness. They never did get to experience what it was like in the promised land. They never uh, were able to partake of those marvelous grapes in Hebron that Chuck's mouth just waters every time he sees them. Great big luscious purple grapes. Oh, my. They're marvelous. And uh, they never did get those. They died in the wilderness. God protected their eyes so their eyesight didn't dim. He protected their shoes. Moses' shoes never did wear out in 40 years of wandering. God was, oh, that it would happen today, huh? <laughs> um, but they cried and cried and cried. And then, you know what they did? They said, oh, let's raise up a captain that will take us back to Egypt. They began to just completely disregard God's chosen leaders for them, Moses and Aaron. And when Moses and Aaron thought, I can see it. I love Jewish people. They are so emotional. And I can just see Moses and Aaron. These crazy people now have chosen a leader and they're going back to Egypt. And you know what happened to Moses and Aaron? They fell on their faces. Can you say, I've had it, folks? Boom. I mean, you know, one time Moses said, God, why did you give me these people? I can't suffer them any longer. They're driving me crazy. This is paraphrased by K11. <laughs> but then the next thing that happened, when uh, Joshua and Caleb heard it, they tore their clothes. They, I can just see them, can't you? Oh, I can't take these people. They're crazy. They won't believe us. We saw the land. It's marvelous. God is with us. He's going to defeat all the armies in Canaan, and we're going to be victorious. And the people are going, oh, God brought us out here to die. He blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they're tearing their clothes, and then they try one last ditch stand, and they go to the people, and they say, God's with us. Hey, he's going to do all these wonderful things. And then the people decided to stone Joshua and Caleb. That's where their hearts were. So filled with unbelief in God. And yet there was the cloud. There was the fire. There was God with them every moment of every day. And he had brought the water out of the rock, and he had rained on the manna, and he had defeated enemies that tried to destroy them. And yet they whipped all night. It makes you sick. It makes me ill when I think about it. When you picture it in your mind, what they decide to do, and then... An interesting hap thing happens in verse 27 of Numbers 14. I believe it's, don't turn to it, just listen. God said to Moses, I have heard the murmurings, which they murmur against me. Every time you murmur, God hears. Do you realize that? Every time you murmur, God hears. Oh, how ashamed this makes me. It makes me sick at heart. All the times I've murmured and complained and griped and grumbled. If I were aware every time that God heard me, and when I have become aware of it, I stop. And I pray this morning that God will show you what a serious thing it is to murmur about your circumstances or to murmur against God or His provision or His protection for you. It's a very, very serious thing. God does not treat it lightly. You know what He said He was going to do with the children of Israel? 
He said, I'll smite them with pestilence and I'll disinherit them. And if it had not been for Moses' intercession at that time, every single murmur would have been wiped out at that moment. But because Moses interceded, God said, Okay, I won't wipe them all out, but I'll never let them see the promised land. And today, when we murmur and we complain about the place that we're in that God's allowed us to be to bring growth in our life and to bring us out as good representatives of Jesus Christ, He hears and He knows. And when we gripe, and we think it's not a big deal. It is a big deal before God. And if it were not for Jesus Christ interceding for you today, God would still wipe you out when you murmur and complain. That is how serious it is to Him. We are not to do it. It's a sin. It is a big sin. It's listed with adultery, fornication. It's listed with idolatry. Can you believe that? It's listed with lusting after evil things, murmuring, and not just against God, but against what He's provided for you. I read in a little devotional I have, She that has so many causes of joy and so great is very much in love with sorrow and peevishness, who loses all these pleasures and chooses to sit down upon her little handful of thorns. You know, people who choose to sit on their little handful of thorns, they have a place to eat and sleep, and they have God's Word, and they have so much, and yet they choose to gripe and grumble and complain. And do you know what happens to you today? You never go into God's promised land. I'm not talking about heaven right now. I'm talking about the joys and the blessings God has for you. And you sit on your little bundle of thorns and you never know what he's doing for you. You never see a miracle when it comes right before your eyes. You never know the joy and the intimacy and delight of just fellowshipping with him. You never inquire in his sanctuary and you never behold his beauty. You never know the blessedness of the man that walks without grumbling and murmuring. In closing this morning, as you read through these scriptures, both in the New Testament and the Old, you'll begin to see more of God's mind and His holiness and the things that uh, Christians treat so casually. And you begin to see that they are not casual with God at all. If we are to live lives pleasing to God, we must let Him search our hearts this morning and show us anything in our lives any place in our life where we're guilty of any of these things that are not pleasing to Him. I love Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 in the Living Bible. Please don't look it up. Close your eyes and just listen to the verse as I read it. And let it be a prayer of your heart this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And as we begin this new year, I want each one of us, as we bow our hearts and our minds and our thoughts before Him for just a moment, I want us, first of all, to let His searchlight be turned on our minds. I want us then to confess anything He shows us just between you and Him. I want you to repent. I want you to ask forgiveness. I want cleansing to flow through this room this morning. 
People go around and they pray, oh, God, send revival, send revival, send revival. Revival never comes without repentance. Confession and repentance. And also, any one of these five things will break your fellowship with God. Oh, you can stay a Christian. You'll have eternal life, maybe. But your fellowship is broken. And I don't know about you, but I cannot stand living one moment with Chuck with our fellowship broken. I can't stand it. When our fellowship is broken, I will do anything to restore it. I work hard, and he does too. I can't stand it. And how much more my fellowship with God. You may be walking through a very dry place right now because of sin. Dryness does come in. That's one of the results. You might be walking in that place where you're going, God, what is the matter in my life? Maybe you really don't know. In most cases, we usually do. But as we bow our hearts, I want you to think about it. I want you to let God turn His light, His laser beam, and just penetrate into the deepest recesses of your heart and show you anything that pains His heart that makes Him sad. So we bow our heads. Lord, I acknowledge Your work being done in this room this morning. I know that a wave of repentance is sweeping across the room in confession. Your Spirit has promised it, and your Spirit is at work. Oh, God, in my own heart, I confess those things that would grieve you. Just bring them before you this morning and ask your forgiveness. I ask you to restore. I ask you to do all the things that you want to do. Oh, that fellowship will be perfect, oh, Lord. I pray for these women. Mm. Praise God. The Lord is just revealing to my heart some of the things they're being repented of, and it's precious before Him. Praise the name of Jesus. Father, we just praise you for what you're doing right now in this room. Thank you for women who want to please your heart more than anyone else. 